All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is 9.27, but we are going to get started so that we try to be less over on our time this morning. Uh, I'm not promising that we won't go over, but we will be less over uh, if we start early. So, uh, this morning, we are looking at, last week we, we looked at uh, the question, what is a man? And so this morning, we are looking at the flip side of that question, what is a woman? Uh, before we get into that question, I gave you men a, a challenge last week to ask the people closest to you who know you best, uh, where in the three traits that we looked at, the three traits for reminder were humble leadership, uh, gentle strength, and selfless sacrifice. Uh, and I challenged the men to ask the people closest to you if uh, where you where you strived in these, where you were strong in these three things. And where you had the room for improvement, where you were weak in these things. We do that, we fulfill that challenge, do we have those conversations? Yes? Okay, okay, there's honesty, I like it. Uh, Do it this week, do it this week. Because ladies, you will also be given a similar challenge at the end of this morning. So, it could be good for for mutual conversations between uh, husbands and wives, as well as just uh, sisters and and brothers. So it's good for us to, to do that. Uh, so, the question this morning. What is a woman? God's blessing to man. Okay, God's blessing to man. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. How many years have you been married? Other thoughts? What is a woman? Companion, friend. Okay, yep. Okay. Strong. Strong. Mm-hmm. Completion. Six. Completion. Completion. Okay. Bear children. Bear children. Miss Kelly. Okay. Yeah. So, so all these things, I, I agree. I think a lot of these things are used to uh, describe women and and. Help us to, to better understand and to better see what it means to be a woman. Uh, this morning, uh, I will have a partner with me teach, teaching this class. And so I want to break this class up into two sort of sections. I'm going to handle the first section. My wife is going to handle the second section. Uh, last week, we, we did the same breakup where we broke it up into a, a biological understanding of what it means to be a man and how men are different from from women, and then we looked at a biblical understanding of what it means to be a man. And so we're going to do the same thing this morning. Biologically, what does it mean to be a woman? And biblically, what does it mean to be a woman? So I will handle the biological side. Paige is going to handle the biblical side. Um, so let's jump in. Like we said last week, uh, women, uh, or we said this about men last week, women are women to the very core of their being. Down to your very, the, the cells of your body, the chromosomes that make up your DNA, you are a woman. Down to the very, very central to, to who you are. Uh, last week I pointed out that male babies in, in utero undergo a, a prenatal puberty where a flood of testosterone floods their brain at eight weeks gestation. And how this changes their brain makeup and their chemistry and affects which parts of their brain develop quicker. Well, female infants do not get this testosterone flood at eight weeks. 
And they don't get a flood of estrogen either, at least not yet. This absence of the, the hormonal surge actually causes the female baby to, her, her brain to shape in an entirely different way than her male counterpart. The, the lack of testosterone enables the areas of her brain that control communication and observation and the processing of emotions to grow much more than an infant male. Preborn girls, girls still in the womb, even behave differently inside their mother's wombs. They behave differently than boys. And when they are born, they enter the world hardwired for communication, for connection, and for empathy. This empathy-wired baby girl begins expressing herself within hours after she is born. Less than a day old, female babies are more responsive to the cries of other babies. They empathize. Within that first week, she prefers to look at people instead of objects. Whereas baby boys prefer to look at objects, especially objects that are moving. But baby girls make sustained eye contact with their caregivers. They, in the first three months of her life, eye contact, face gazing increased by over 400%, which develop and continue to develop her skills of observation. A female infant is more adept at reading and interpreting facial expressions and hearing emotional vocal tones. As young as one year old, she is more emotionally responsive to the distress of others, especially if they feel sad or hurt. One-year-old girls cry when they see people crying. And it's not because something is wrong with them, but it's because they feel the pain of the people around them. She starts talking earlier than, than boys, and she responds to seeing people's faces more enthusiastically. Fathers of girls, you've seen this. When you've come home from work and your baby girl sees you for the first time and how she lights up just to see you. Whereas their counterpart, baby boys, are just like, oh yeah, dad's home, cool. Can we play now? Can we go do something fun? <laughs> At 18 months, she can tell if someone is listening simply by looking at their facial expression and their eye contact. As her brain continues to develop, she becomes more perceptive to people's emotions. She has a greater sensitivity to social experiences involving faces and emotions, and she interprets emotional vocal tones and unspoken cues. Baby girls do experience what's called infantile puberty, but it's at a much later state than, than boys did in, at eight weeks gestation. For girls, there's this 24-month period where her brain is literally flooded with enormous amounts of estrogen. This prompts the development of ovaries, and it stimulates brain circuits in the centers of her brain that revolve around communication, tending and caring for other people, and even gut feelings. And so, yes, we can say that a woman's intuition actually has a neurological basis. It's real. The female brain, as one neuropsychiatrist has called it, is a machine built for connection. The hippocampus, which is connected to memory and emotion, is much larger in females than males, meaning they usually have better memories of details that have more emotions. So if you, can, if, if you ever wonder why it is that your wife remembers those arguments from all those years ago, it's because she was really upset when it happened. And things that she remembers the clearest have the biggest emotions. Uh, the limbic system, which is linked to bonding and nesting and, and how uh, we connect our emotions 
to each other. The, the limbic system is, is larger and deeper in women. The region of the temporal lobe in the brain that's associated with language and verbal fluency is very much larger in women than men. Lower levels of testosterone lead to stronger communication and social skills, as well as greater eye contact. Women like to be looked in the eye, and they like to look you in the eye. Females protect, uh, process information bilaterally, meaning that they use the left and right hemispheres of their brain to process things. If you remember last week, we talked about how men only used half of their brain to do this. Women use all of it. And because of this, the, the corpus callosum, which connects the two hemispheres of the brain, is uh, up to 25% larger in females. Because they need to be able to move that information back and forth quicker, quickly and, and more uh, efficiently. Not only do women speak more out loud, but inside their own brains they speak more to, each, to themselves. The average female excels in verbal abilities, as well as reading comprehension, writing ability. Female comprehension comes with greater emotional comprehension, since emotions are processed on the right side of the brain. The side of the brain that men rarely, if ever, use. This also explains why women tend to be better at multitasking and maintaining multiple considerations all at the same time. Uh, when a girl matures and approaches puberty, she, uh, she is more inclined to emotional connections and communication. Uh, teenage girls have greater sensitivity to social experiences that involve faces and emotions, and they process facial expressions more quickly. They find emotional fulfillment in one-on-one -on -one friendships and are more affectionately expressive. In relationships, females tend to be more focused on preserving harmonious relationships. On a molecular and neurological level, she is motivated to ease and even prevent social conflict. She doesn't want things to be tense. She doesn't want people to be upset. And this means that the relational conflict and social rejection are highly stressful events for the female brain. Creating a cascade of negative chemical reactions in her brain. When a relationship is threatened or broken, she experiences a drop in serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, while cortisol, the stress hormone, takes over. Females build relationships more face-to-face. -face. Last week, I talked about how men build relationships shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, bonding over a shared activity that they're doing together. Females don't do that. They, they build relationships more face-to-face, -face, communicating, nurturing relationships with one another. Rank, hierarchy, competition that are so prevalent among male relationships are actually have, have a greater tendency to destroy a female relationship. Because competition for a woman tends to be more relational. Again, you can look at little girls and think about how often they talk about who's whose best friend. That's their version of competition. That's their version of, of how rank and hierarchy works. But if you put them in a, a competition over ability... There's, they're more likely to feel hurt and betrayed when they lose. A conversation is central to female friendships. They find biological comfort in verbal communication, especially when it, when it involves self-disclosure. Sharing secrets and expressing fears to one another activates a pleasure, the pleasure and reward centers in the female brain. Through talking, females receive a huge surge of dopamine and oxytocin that creates emotional bonds and reduces stress. We could look uh, at other areas of biology. For example, 
Female tear ducts are much smaller than men's, which means that their tears can spill out much more quickly. They also have more sensitive hearing than men. They t- women typically hear sounds at eight decibels louder than men. So women, if he says he doesn't hear you, it's because he probably doesn't. And if you hear something and he says, I have no idea what you're hearing, I don't hear anything, he probably doesn't. This also explains why little girls may be more likely to feel shouted at. It's not because they, they have an increased sensitivity to vocal tones, but they also hear the voice more loudly. Even though you don't feel like you're yelling at them, they hear it that way. Females are twice as likely to experience clinical depression and PTSD. Between the ages of 14 and 25, depression is twice as prevalent among women than men. This is largely due to to female hormone fluctuations that make them more vulnerable to depressive symptoms. But not only that, women are also more likely to experience to have anxiety related disorders and internalize their emotions, which often results in withdrawal and loneliness. And all of this is not counting the potential for the female body to sustain new life. I think with this idea of, of when we're trying to define a woman biologically, I think we have to, to account and bring into the conversation the ability to to give birth, to have life. But I, I need to add a caveat to that because not having children does not make you less of a woman. Not being married does not make you less of a woman. But biologically, what makes a woman a woman is the potential, the ability, the the potential to give birth. And there may be infertility issues, there may be medical issues, there may be just being single. And all these may contribute to, to why a woman does not have children, but it does not make her any less a woman. We can also look at the the difference in muscle fibers between men and women. We talked a little bit about this last week, but women's muscles contain 27 to 35 percent more slow twitch fibers, as well as a greater density of capillaries, which enables a woman to sustain force for an extended period of time, but not generate a significant burst of force. So one book that I read said, for example, her muscles can't pull a car by a rope. But they can endure sustained contractions without quitting. Because you've been designed this way. You've been created with your muscles designed and built for this. Biologically, this is a very, very small taste of what differentiates a woman from a man. We are different. I hope these last two weeks, just from a biological perspective, you have come to the understanding, if you didn't have it already, men and women are different. Down to the very core of who we are. But we are still equals. As image bearers of God. You are created women. You are created with the image of God impressed upon you. At the very core of your being. And in that regard you are no different than a man. You both. We both have this image. So questions biologically. What is a woman? All right, I've done my part. I'm going to turn it over uh, to my lovely bride. Uh, while she comes up here, go ahead and grab a Bible and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3.
Good morning. All right, so I'm here (laughs) mostly speaking to the women. Okay, the men are in the room, and you are allowed to listen. (laughs) We're happy you're here. But (laughs) remember in growth group, whenever I had to sit away from Patrick because he was so loud in my ear? It explains a lot. There's a reason. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I just want to talk about, last week Patrick said, what is a biblical man? Is that how you worded it? And this week we're looking at what does the Bible say a Christian woman should be? Um, By no means have I arrived in all of these areas. I am, and by the way, Patrick put most of this together And I added my little notes and everything to it. And so we are in agreement to everything. Um, I'm just the voice today for what God's word says and what has been prepared for me. Um, So 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Will someone read it? Thank you. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy styles, of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Thank you. Okay, so... Right away, this passage is specifically speaking to wives, but that's because it's in a context of Peter talking about authorities. Okay, so he's talking about um, government authorities, he's talking about slave masters and slaves, and he's talking about in these structures of authority, we need to submit as Christians, right? And so, continuing that, he's talking about Um, marriage, right? Husbands and wives. But just like last week, the text was speaking specifically to elders, but it is applies to all men. This week, this scripture may specifically be speaking to wives, but it does still apply to all women regardless of being married or unmarried. Um, So we're actually going to work backwards um, in this text. And I really, side note, struggled because I wanted to talk about Proverbs 31 and this passage, but we just didn't have enough time to talk about both. So I might have a few references to Proverbs 31 and then a challenge at the end. So we're going to work backwards. We have three traits of biblical womanhood in this passage. The the first is from verses 5 through 6, 
and that's fearless hope. Um, And we see that from, I'm going to read my verses here. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. So fearless hope. Um, This one got me this week because hope, check mark. Like, yeah, I can hope. I have hope in Christ and, and he gives me hope. Fearlessness, not being afraid, um, is another story because I have tendencies of fear, fear of the unknown and things that are out of my control, you know. Um, so this, this one got me this week. So let's, we'll, we'll dive into it. The model that Peter gives women to follow is the Old Testament women. The, women, the holy women who hoped in God. What are some examples? Some, who are some of those old women? Older Old Testament women. Sarah. Sarah's mentioned. Any others? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Hannah. Yeah. Ruth. Ruth. Deborah. Deborah. Esther. Esther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of those are great examples. How, thinking of all those women, were their lives easy? Did they have reason to fear? Did Ruth have a reason to fear? Yeah. Coming into a new nation, not having a husband. Uh, Did Esther have reason to fear? Yes. Being the the Jewish woman and going into the... um, Babylonian, is it, or Mm Syrian? Persian. Persian, thank you. Going into the king's throne room, who was the Persian king. You know, uh, did Rahab have reason to fear? Yeah. All of these women had reason to fear. But they had fearless hope. Um, So a woman does not put her hope in her father or her husband or her children or in getting a husband or having children. Her hope does not rest on getting her life together or improving her situation. Her hope rests in the promises of God. That God will be faithful to his word. That is her hope. Um, When a woman places her hope in God, resting in his promises, there comes with that a fearlessness. So Peter says in the ESV version, do not fear anything that is frightening. Or in the Holman Christian Standard Version, which is what I like to read from, it says, do not fear any intimidation. And your version said, read that line, Sue. Um, I'm trying to see what that is. Verse. Um, without fear of what your husbands might do. Without fear of what your husbands might do. So, do not fear anything that is frightening. Do not fear any intimidation or fear anything your husbands might do. Um, yeah. Yeah, someone can mistake in fear for something 
you know, only kind of terrifying or scary, mm-hmm. while some right. thoughts you conjure up of what they might do or might not do mm-hmm. is a little bit different picture of that, but it's fear, still fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to the biological side of women, we've learned that women are prone to anxieties, right? Uh, depressions and those types of disorders. Um, I certainly have my bout, had my bouts with those anxieties and doubts and fears in my life. Um, so I can relate to that. And Peter doesn't discount the fact that there are things that frighten. Okay? And women do tend to be more fearful than men. Not always, but tend to be sometimes. But um, hope in God doesn't remove the fearful thing. It removes the fear. Okay? Um, Does it make sense to have a fearful hope? Can we have hope and fear at the same time? We really can't. Not That's like an oxymoron to have hope and be afraid. I mean, I think that's the reason why the word fearless, hope, that fearless is so important. Um, you think it's learned, though, because you have to have faith and action, even though you're a little fearful, mm-hmm. to know that it's a better op- outcome to focus on God than your circumstance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of times whenever, yeah, you can be afraid and have faith and hope and take the first step, right? I think we were called to do the that. The more you do it, the more fear. Right, right, right. I agree with that. that that's true anxiety. Mm-hmm. True anxiety. Anxiety is hope and, and not really believing yeah. what you're hoping for, mm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You hope it's going to happen. You hope your husband's going to do something. The husband doesn't even know what he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can't leave God out of that because you're going to have anxiety if you don't have God. But if you go, okay, God, I'm getting out of your way. I notice right. that I'm right. maybe yeah. intercepting right. what you're going to do. So right. I'm going to back off right. and allow you to work. Right. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. I've had times where I've been fearful. And the only thing that I could do was just repeat a Bible verse over and over and over and over again just to calm myself down. And I may not have even been fully calmed down, but it subsided. It it helped. It passes. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
did a little skit on that for a women's luncheon, and it was interesting the different ages, you know, as we posed, like I posed as a teenager, what I hoped for, mm-hmm. versus, you know, um, something on the shirt. You know. Yeah. So, a woman must hope in God in the face of troubles and anxieties, pointing back to these women in the Old Testament who did just that. Because she knows she is deeply loved, and the one who loves her so deeply has promised never to leave or abandon her. We say it every week in the Great Commission. Um, He will not forsake us or leave us. right? And we have to believe that. And that is a promise from God, and we can hope in that. Um, So I'm mentioning from Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 says that a woman... Who fears the Lord will be praised. So in contrast of being fearful of our situations, a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Um, Okay. The second trait of biblical womanhood is internal beauty. This is from verses 2 through 4. So, in this section, a woman's beauty... So, in general, a woman's beauty is a huge part of her identity. Um, But according to Peter, a woman's true beauty goes deeper than the skin. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on gold jewelry, clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay, so... Obviously, our appearance matters, right? Um, I don't think Peter is saying, get out of bed and go about your day, you know. Your appearance matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And sometimes women have that pull to care about, care too much about how we look, right? Um, so, but beauty goes deeper than the skin. Peter's not saying that women shouldn't wear nice clothes or jewelry or fix their hair nice. Um, uh, just that appearance does not supersede character. So we're going to get into this, this character. If, if true beauty is internal, Peter describes it as gentle and quiet spirit. Let's talk about that. Let's, somebody, what does it mean? To have a gentle and quiet spirit. We can dissect each word individually if we need to. Gentle. We talked about it last week for men to have gentle strength, right? So gentle from last week was not being harsh, right? Being soft. What's a way in, in a woman, what's gentleness in a woman look like? Not bristly. Like, I feel like that's the opposite for me is, like, when I know I'm not being gentle because I'm, like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, an angry porcupine. Like, <laughs> they're just, like, spines everywhere, and I'm just ready to shoot it out of the next person who says something to Calming and compassion. Mm-hmm. Nurturing. Nurturing. Good one. Not scary. <laughs> Not scary. Yeah. 
Well, they're scary. Yeah, we can, we can be scary. <laughs> All right, quiet. What's, what's Peter talking about here? It's words like this that make me glad that you're the one teaching. Right, I mean, <laughs> all right, so here, the con, Peter's not talking right here about women in a corporate worship setting, right? Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. All right, he's talking about in the family, okay, mm-hmm. right? And, and character, just having a, a, a character of gentle and quiet spirit. What's quiet? Silence. Okay, silence. Non-argumentative. Non-argumentative. That's good, mm-hmm. Ron. Or like waters, right? Like when you think about like that the, 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 the sea is quiet or the, the like, like, because the opposite of that is like so, right. like tempestuous, right? Yeah. Like you have this like, like charming of right. feeling right. and emotions that just like make you so responsive to everything, whereas like if it's quiet, like the water, like you can yeah. take things Right. And right. kind of absorb shock into the flow rather than it being like mm-hmm. splashing everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's think about the opposite of quiet. Loud, right? Uh, loud people have to be heard. Okay? Doesn't matter what others say or do as long as they are the ones who are heard. I think here Peter is talking about a quiet heart, trust that God hears her. All right, and this is this is this is the part that hurts. And she doesn't feel pressured internally or externally to always share her opinion or thoughts on every matter. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that is a little bit of what Peter is meaning by quiet. You don't always have to share your thoughts or opinions. Though we have opinions and we can share them when the timing is right and when we should, maybe not every little thing has to be said. And that is an ouch for me. That's, I always like to share what I think. Ask Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you make it stormy, then everybody's going to seek shelter. Yes, if we're seeking shelter, we're not going to hear what you're saying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Okay, spirit... Talk about that word. It makes you think of your Holy Spirit, the soul. Mm-hmm. Your being, maybe, mm-hmm. as, as a whole. Your, your disposition. Right. He doesn't say have a gentle and quiet mouth. Right? Like right. He, he says have a gentle and quiet spirit. Right. So maybe our, our heart, right? Mm-hmm. What comes out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need our heart to be in check. Um, so he's not saying women should never speak and never get worked up about anything, but that their heart should be one that is caring, tender, listening, putting others first. So with gentle and quiet spirit, I think this leads to what he mentions, Peter mentions, as being uh, respectful and pure in our conduct. Um So he says that our respectful and pure conduct can win over our husbands without a spoken word. 
Um, as, hard, as hard as it is, sometimes saying less to our husbands and praying more to our heavenly husband can bring about the most change in our earthly husbands. Not that we shouldn't speak to them and try to encourage them, but like what Clint said, you know, we're talking too much, they're just going to hide from us <laughs> and not hear what we have to say at all. So, there's that. Uh, the third, we need to trust that, that, that God is the one who changes hearts, ours, and everyone else's hearts who are in our homes. Alright, so the third trait, willful submission. Keyword, willful. Okay, so we're going to verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that, even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. Um, so, I'm going to speak to married women and unmarried women, because it still applies to us all. So, married, um, in this verse, we're called to submit to the leadership of our own husbands. Right? Does not mean everyone's husband is our authority. Um, Not every man, but there are some men who have been placed in positions of authority over us, um, like government or bosses or other examples of that, that we do need to carefully submit to. Um, But other men in our lives can be brothers. Right? We can respect one another and care for one another in that way as being brother and sister. Um, So, your husbands have been given the responsibility to lead, and we've been given the responsibility to help them lead by supporting, supporting them in submission. So, here are six things that submission is not. So, first, agreeing with everything your husband says. Sometimes they have bad ideas. (laughs) (laughs) But only sometimes. (laughs) Um, It is not leaving your brain at the wedding altar, right? We are called to be wise and discerning. We can think for ourselves. Uh, It is not avoiding any effort to change your husband. He is still a sinner, and he does need sanctification, and that can happen in marriage for both husband and wife, and we need it. Um, It is not putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. Do not follow your husband into sin. Uh, I'm sure, like, this is not new to anyone. It is not that... A wife gets her personal and spiritual strength primarily or only through her husband. Um, if he, it's a wonderful thing to have your husband lead you spiritually. Um, but if he is not, you are able to read and study and understand God's word for yourself. He has given you a smart brain. You have the Holy Spirit who interprets his word in you and for you. And you don't have to come to Christ through your husband, right? 
thankfully we have Christ. We can come to Christ. Um, and it is not that a wife should act out of fear. If you are submitting to your husband out of fear, that is abuse. It is abuse, and you need to seek help. Okay? Um, submission is, um, this is from a, a marriage book that Patrick and I read one time, respect that leads to serving. And then Piper, John Piper that is, says, I don't know why I said that. (laughs) He says that submission is a divine calling for wives to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. So we are, we're all given gifts. And we are able to help our husbands um, in their calling of leading us. Uh, Okay, submission is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. The church submits to the lordship of Christ. He's our head, and the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, so for married, for unmarried women, um, still called to submit, but in two areas. You're submitting to Christ because he's your head. And then you are submitting to the leaders of your church and to the men in your family who are your authority in your family. Um, They are the head that God has put over you within the church and family for your good. Um, Okay, here's a summary. Ultimately, married or unmarried, we all have a perfect, eternal husband in Christ. Um, our marriages now are only a picture and do not go into eternity because we'll have the real thing. We'll have the real marriage in heaven for married and unmarried women. Um, Today, we can place our hope in Christ and not fear. Today, we can adorn ourselves with what Christ considers beautiful and precious. And today we can willingly submit because he's called us to do it and because Christ is trustworthy. Um, We can submit to him and what he tells us to do because he's trustworthy. Um, And he loves us. So here's the two challenges I have for this week. Same for the men. Ask the one who knows you best about your strengths and weaknesses in these three traits. Have a good conversation about that. And then the second challenge is read and dissect for yourself Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. And list all of her traits and let her be an example of one of the holy women that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, for you to imitate and be like. Two of my favorite traits mentioned were her strengths and capabilities and how her husband was able to trust her. So those are two, two of my favorites among many. So those are my challenges. You're good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we got a couple minutes. Any questions from anything that we've talked about? Well, if there's anything that has 
has stood out. Everything makes perfect sense. All right, we're good. Uh, these these last two weeks, uh, this morning and last week, were uh, a lot of uh, a challenge to prepare and and a challenge to to work through. Uh, but Paige and I enjoyed it, and I hope I hope it's it's good. I hope you see where we see these things. These are not traits that Paige and I are, are pulling out of our own brains and saying this is what every man and every woman should be. Uh, this is what God's word has has called us to be as men and women. And so, go and do likewise. Go and be the men and go be the women that God has called you to be. Go and be the husbands and the wives that God has called you to be and honor him in your maleness and singleness. Or in your maleness and femaleness. Um, now, the plan for next week. Uh, in February, we are going to continue this complementary theology study. Uh, next week, we are going to be looking at gender roles in both the home and in the church. Uh, and as a, a, a spoiler alert of, of a kind, the roles that God has given for us in the home carry over into the church because the church is considered to be the family of God. And so if, if how it works in the family at home, it should work in the family of God. And so we'll, we'll look at those next week and then kind of progress from there. Uh, but if you have any questions, if you have anything that uh, we need to clarify, by all means, let us know and we'll do that. Uh, but let me pray for you. God, thank you for this morning and for our time to study what you have created. Uh, God, help us as men to be men. Help the women as women to be women. Um, God, I pray that you would be glorified in in us as your creation. Uh, that we would strive to, to be what you have called us to be. And God, that we, that we would see where we are weak and by your grace you would make us strong. That we would see where we are strong and by your grace you would make us humble. Uh, God, help us to, to honor you in the ways that you have created us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.